0: So this morning's reading is from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment,
1: Oh, really good morning to you, if, uh, if not met before, my name's Mark, and uh, as David was saying, I head up the, the worship life of the church, and already there's something about loving your enemies and worship that sit really hand in hand. Um, there's something really amazing about getting to worship God and to, to be in the presence of God where love increases and uh, our sense of who is our enemy hopefully decreases, and so it's just good to be worshiping together this morning. Um, as you've got a Bible out, I also want to invite you, probably for the first and only time in church, um, if you have Twitter to open Twitter in church, or if you have any other social media platform on your phone, uh, I want to invite you to, to get that out, and maybe some folks around you will have it. onto it as well. Um, if you're normally on Twitter during the service, uh, I understand. It's okay. It's <laughs> okay. Um, and I want to see if you would, uh, maybe in Twitter or whatever platform, type in the word, if you search for it, uh, B-R-E-X-I-T. And I want you to see what comes up. Um, have a quick scroll, and as soon as you find something that's mildly offensive, unkind or rude, just, you know, you can give us a little wave. <laughs> okay, got it, got it, got it. Hands going up all over the place. <laughs> Um, I did the same thing with the word church last night, and I didn't even have to scroll, and someone just went, F to church. It's, it's pretty blazing. Because either the world's got really, really, really good at pointing us to the things that really, really, really annoy us, or it's gone totally mad, or we just have a situation now where we're much closer to each other's opinions on the surface and under the surface than we were before. It's so easy to go through Twitter or the news and to be shocked within about three seconds. And loving your enemy, and the word of Jesus here, needs to give us something to manage that, to understand that, to think, what do we do living in a world where we are seconds away from vitriol, from angst just being poured out on us? Pharrell Williams, who um, gave us all a wee break from this by releasing the song Happy, um, he starts out with this little quote. And he said, online your spirit is free to be whatever it wants to be. And what do you see online? Warfare. <laughs> he puts some um, apostrophes and dollar signs before it, usually when he says it. Warfare. And it's true, it's like, when was the last time that you changed someone's mind over a Facebook argument? When were you last in a big online discussion and after about 23 comments were like, oh, now I get what they were saying. Brilliant. Let's let's be friends. There's something about the way of engaging now in person or online which can be full of vitriol. So what are we all trying to get at? What are we trying to do? The Christian writer, uh, Michael Gunger, he uh, released this little thread of tweets this week about going to the play park. He says, a few weeks ago, Lisa Gunger and I, as his wife were at the park with our daughter Lou. At one point, Lou pushed another kid on the playground. Lisa and I both ran up and apologized to the kid and the mom of the other kid. The mom looked down at Lou and asked, do you want to play with her? Thread continues, to our surprise, Lou nodded her head, yes. Lou said sorry, and the two kids began to play together. Lisa and I looked at each other, dumbfounded by whatever black magic this Lou whisperer was operating with. He continues, she saw our faces and smiled. I work in law, and I've seen that that's the kind of thing people do sometimes when they want to connect, but don't know how. And he finishes. Here we are all on social media, yelling at each other, subtweeting, insulting, and rolling our eyes at each other. And I wonder if under it all, we just want to connect, to be seen, to be loved. Well, you are. Uh, Michael Gunger, over the last few years, has been exploring his beliefs, his theology, his understanding um, on Twitter. And he's received some phenomenally upsetting and unsettling comments from Christians challenging his exploration, his ideas. And there's something that he's tapping into which says, maybe when people don't quite get it, we lash out in anger. Maybe anger and intimacy are are a lot closer than we think, that when we're not sure how to get intimacy, anger becomes a way of lashing out, of reaching out desperately. I wonder if that's what's starting to go on and that this is what Jesus is inviting us to test out and to challenge. So Jesus is taking us on a journey of love your enemies. And over the course of, of the next 20 minutes or so, what we're hoping is that we understand what is love and who is my enemy. We understand this, this idea of turning the other cheek a little differently and that we then understand that if we get to be the ones who understand what love is and understand who an enemy might be, and if we get to be the ones that can change how we interact with each other, what do we as the church get to do in a way that starts to give us a space to redeem more of society? We want to see creation redeemed. We want to see people redeemed. We want to see our lives, our thinking, our behavior redeemed. Can we get to do that by understanding what it is to love your enemy? So, love is, is a powerful word, we've explored it recently, all you need is love, is um, a great song, it's a great idea as well. Um, what is love, though? It's really easy to band it around. And for me, I think I need a few distinctions for love, I need it to be broken down a little clearer. And someone a few years ago helped me get into this, they said, well, love is three things broken down to people, it's acceptance being known for who you really are, accepting for just who you are. It's value, having worth bestowed on you and kindness and being treated as so. And it's a sense of belonging, that whatever goes on, there's hope for you, that there's a place for you. Love, I find it really helpful to be broken into those three, acceptance and value and belonging. And we source that from God. That's part of why we, we, we worship God. We're resourcing who we actually are. We're reconnecting, as they were saying, with who he's made us, with the truth. And we're finding the source of love in God. Acceptance and value belonging all comes from him. And then all being well, we see that reflected in our lives, in family, in our workplaces, in our relationships. And so as Christians, if, if we get to be the ones who can really dive into what love is, that maybe we get to be the ones who start to offer it to whoever we think our enemies are. So, who is our enemy? If we know what love is, who is our enemy? This can be a really odd thing just now because we're not necessarily living in a state of like, violent war. I don't have actual enemies, or as uh, Graham Norton would put it, have anyone on my list of enemies. But it's hard for us to understand who is our enemy. Maybe we're now moving into a time where everyone's so upfront with their beliefs, with their ideas, because everyone's so safe to communicate without threat of violence in a lot of our contexts that we're more up for challenging this. We're more up for explaining our, our motivations. Marshall Rosenberg writes, when we understand the needs that motivate our own and others' behavior... We have no enemies. Other writers in the last 30 years have said, behind every behavior is a positive intention. Behind every behavior is a commitment to something. And that's tough for us to hear. Often we'd love to think behind every behavior we don't like is an idiot. Or behind every behavior we don't like is someone who's wrong. But is there something in the idea that behind every behavior is a positive intention? Uh, John Grinder and Richard Battler, uh, Battler, linguists, took it even further. And they they were talking about this in the context of working with a client or um, partnering with someone. They said, a lot of your ability to establish and maintain rapport with your client is your ability to appreciate that what looks and sounds and feels really weird and inappropriate to you is simply a statement about your failure to appreciate the context from which that behavior is generated. What looks and sounds and feels really weird and inappropriate to you is simply a statement about your failure to appreciate the context from which that behavior is generated. It's really easy to label someone an enemy and treat them like that it's really difficult to take that label away and go and seek to understand the behavior, the meaning that someone's behavior is coming from. And that's the question we've got. How much room do we have for understanding our enemies? Wherever you're sitting on the political part, can you sit in a place where you can still see into the other person and understand where they're coming from? Maybe part of the shock and the anxiety and the ghastliness we feel at reading the news is part of the problem. I think a lot of our shock or anxiety goes away when we understand what is the other side actually thinking? What has their life actually been like? And the thing is that if we choose to sit on this side of it, if as the church we choose to sit On the side of feeling shocked and feeling like the world's going to hell in a handcart and feeling like it's all gone a bit wild and out of our control and oh lord hopefully you're still on the throne and won't you show us if we just sit on that side then who else actually gets to set the conversations for this stuff if we're not the ones sitting two people down at the table with opposing views and saying we want to know who you are we want to know your story who else gets to do that We've got a gift here. We've got a a, a Saviour who said, Love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. And so hopefully what begins to happen is that um, as we think about who our enemy might be, that we get a new understanding of it. When I think of of enemies now, you know, I'd often grow up with the Celtic and Rangers um, enemy situation. And for, for some of you, that's like a kind of cute football rivalry. For the others of you, it was like coins being thrown in the pitch and referees and houses getting burnt down and pretty unsettling things. But uh, something fairly tragic happened a few years ago for, for many of you in this room. Um, as a Celtic fan, it was, it was very upsetting and the uh, Rangers went bankrupt. And they uh, were slipped down to the very bottom division and suddenly, uh, Celtic didn't have a rival for a while. And you saw what happened is that when the, when the enemy, when the nemesis was removed from the game, everyone's game started to drop. And it's taken a long time to actually get back up to that, that place of iron, sharpening iron, that place of challenge. Maybe you'll see it in you know, Microsoft and Apple or in technology companies, there's a sparring off to make each other better. And the hope is this, that your enemy simply becomes a friend who is a nemesis that just shows you where you need to get better. Who's the person in your life that constantly provokes you and challenges you because you see in them something that you desire, that you'd love to get better at? We do this in church all the time, really easy. We could like bag on other churches or I could be like, oh, that worship leader, you know, they're just... They just have an amazing voice and they sing everything way too high. Mm, mm. Actually, i just probably like to have their voice. And we complain about big, big, big churches, probably because we'd like to have that many people knowing Jesus. What is it they do to us that provokes us? So Jesus is helping us think, know what love is. Know who your enemy is. How do you turn your enemy into a friend? How does that friend lift up what you're doing? He's changing the way that power works here. He's upsetting us and he's unsettling the whole dynamic of this. He goes on to unpack this. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. This is the old turn the other cheek phrase. It feels good. It feels humble. Just take one for the team. But there's something that's been going on here that I wonder if we get a different frame on it. It could help us. Uh, Walter Wink, which is a great name for a theologian, explains this passage a little more. And uh, to do it, he actually says, you do need someone up front. So I'm going to throw it open. Maybe Dave or Stephen would like to uh, jump out. Oh, yes, it's Dave again. (laughs) We did this in the nine and Dave's cheeks just... Just stop being red. So the context here is if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other cheek, which presumably just means that I get to lump Dave if he is my, my slave or I'm his boss or whatever. I get to lump Dave as many times, and Dave just keeps taking it, keeps taking it. And we think, surely not. Like, Surely Jesus is not that much of a fool to say that. So what is the context Jesus is speaking into? So if we're in a context where Dave, if I'm the, the master and Dave is the slave, which would be funny, <laughs> then the tradition then would be if they were striking a slave, you wouldn't use the left hand because that's the hand you frankly wiped your bum with. And so it would be unclean to strike someone with the left hand. With the right hand, they would use the back hand. And so if I was teaching Dave, getting Dave in line, then it would be a, a backhand strike to that cheek. Now, when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, Dave has an option. So if I struck Dave on this cheek, he turns to me the other cheek. I have two options here. One option is that they engage in a genuine fight. I strike Dave with a closed fist, not a forehand. And at that point, the signal is you are now my equal and we can engage in some kind of combat. Or the other option is, I see that and they've turned the other cheek so as the one exerting dominance I would be saying, either I match them as an equal or I back away now and the power's flipped. Thanks Dave, we won't fight later. This isn't take a beating, take a beating, this is a powerful way to flip the conversation. That seems a little unsettling to me. So when it goes on, it makes a little more sense. It says, if someone uh, takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. So you take that literally, and we get a lot of naked Christians running around causing a lot of weirdness. So someone takes the coat, maybe again the slave um, is giving their coat to the master, or under Roman occupation, they're giving it to a soldier. If at that point, the person whose coat's been taken starts to take their shirt off or their outfit off, then suddenly there's another really strange flip of power. Because in that context, to behold someone's nakedness was more shameful than to be the one who was standing naked. We saw this uh, when Noah got um, pretty hammered one night and he ended up naked lying on the floor of his tent. And Noah's children come in And in order to hide themselves, to not be shamed, they covered their eyes as they drew the covers back over Noah. So as not to be ashamed by beholding the the nudity. You can imagine in that context, the soldier demands a coat off of someone. And it's kind of like a person, all right, you want my coat? All right. (whistles) Off it comes. And at that point, whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop. Keep that on, keep that on. There's a power flip that's happened. Even further, um, in some of the other uh, versions, it dives into the passage about going the extra mile. And going the extra mile is basically now a really lovely Christian thing that gets Christians jobs. Um, This was an old Roman law called Angaria, which allowed the occupying Roman authority to demand that someone would carry their stuff, carry their pack for one mile. so I might again as a Roman in authority demand that someone, that Stephen carries my bag and Stephen will carry my bag for that mile then at the end um, they would dump the bag and off it goes but the moment that Stephen sets foot on that second mile with my bag I need to stop that from breaking power whoa, 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 stop, 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 stop too far, too far, too far no, you've gone too far, give me my bag back and off the Roman goes Again, it's a subtle, non-violent, but deeply powerful flip of power. Turning the other cheek, there's a flip of power there. Giving the cloak, taking the shirt, there's an extra flip of power. Going the extra mile, it's a flip of power. All of this is to say that you have a choice in your response. If you've received these scriptures, as I did for years, of be a doormat, just take it, just be kind, just be nice. That's not the part here. Equally, Jesus is saying loving your enemies is not about living in tyranny. It's not about striking back with violence. It's a third way where there's love. There's actual challenging, interrupting the system kind of love. I find this really powerful for me because... Um, In my story, I'd just been so worried to disrupt or to challenge anything that um, it's actually quite strange that I'm talking about loving your enemies on Twitter because I don't have any. First fell out with someone when I was 17. Never been in in a fight. But I'd taken this scripture the wrong way. I'd taken it too close to heart. I'd taken it out of context and just merged it with my peaceable personality. So there's an encouragement here to some of us to remember that you have a voice, that you have an opinion that we need to be sharing in public. There's an encouragement to the church not to be the doormat as society tramples on in whatever way we think it's doing. To get creative, to get intelligent, to think, how do we contribute? How do we see what's going on? How do we see the craziness that we're seeing? How do we understand all this? And contribute something. How do we get to be the ones that sit with opposing ideas and hear them together? How do we love our enemies by offering them not a doormat or retaliation, but a message of peace and a message of power in Christ? In all the ways that we are in online engagement or um, in our conversations day to day, Weigh up what it is that you want. Weigh up what it is that you think we could be. When you're typing the post, weigh it up. Maybe there's some people, it's just time to unfollow them. Maybe there's some news apps to delete. Just bring our peace back down. Maybe it's time to retreat for a moment from all the things that provoke you and to begin thinking God, what is it that you want me to speak? How is it you want me to contribute? If you're an artist, maybe there's some art to bring in that is going to inspire people. If you love conversations, who are you having over for a, a cuppa to talk through their ideas? You see, Jesus is inviting us, stay meek, stay humble. And he's shown us this different way of being powerful. That meekness is no longer about being the doormat or just not having a voice meekness is to know that you have a sword you know how to brandish it but you choose to keep it sheathed humility is the idea of um, a horse a powerful um, mighty horse that has a bit in its mouth that brings great strength into great control stay meek stay humble stay dangerous and smart There's something in this that being able to love our enemy often means that we need to deal with what repulses us, deal with what shocks us by recognizing that we've probably got a load of that in ourselves. Maybe the reason that we get so shocked and disgusted by what we see other people doing is because we realize if we were unchecked, we'd go the exact same way. Sometimes the best way to face this the monster in front of you, the enemy, is to recognize that that same one is right inside you and that God is actually saying, hey, come on, remember who I've made you. Remember your strength. Remember your kindness. Remember your voice. There's some people I really love um, that do this well. I think of Marcus Coffer, who is at St. John's at the end of Princess Street. And in the middle of a Facebook war, 23 comments in, people starting to really lump each other, or people having a go at folks, you know, folks I know at this church. Then will come Marcus, and you'd expect him to be on the other side of the debate, and then he'll swoop, and he'll stand for the person who's being into, torn to bits. I saw it this morning, and I always wonder, how does he do that? He seems to take the position of someone on the other side of the conversation, and stand with them, for them. He'll create dialogue, he's a, he's a kind soul. How do we get to do that kind of work it's happening all over the place sam harris who's a a leading atheist voice he was talking about liam neeson uh, when recently liam neeson had a controversy around uh, an opinion and anger that he had years ago and there was there was calls for boycotting and and all kinds of upset sam harris an atheist potentially the opposite end of the scale in our system says We have to understand what are the criteria for successful apologies and forgiveness. We're so trigger happy in our outrage. We just need to figure out how to talk about how people can redeem themselves when something this unsavory is revealed about their past. All over the place, people are calling for redemption, they're calling for places for people to be redeemed, they're calling for understanding. And the invitation now is to us as the church to say, do we want to have the place in our culture where we are the ones who create space for redemption? Do we want to be the ones who create space for forgiveness? For actual understanding of people's lives? Our gospel is one of redemption and it is one of, of so much love. It's one of acceptance and value and belonging. It's a gospel of enemies Becoming friends. So, this morning as we begin to respond to this, I want to invite you to to close your eyes for a moment, and the team are going to come up. And then Dave's going to help us keep understanding this. But just start to reflect and recognize that you're deeply, deeply loved. Recognize that God pours out acceptance and value and belonging to you. Recognize that the enemies that we fear may have something to offer us as friends. What would it take for God's grace to move in that? Recognize that where you've uh, taken a beating or been a doormat, that you actually have power, that you have a sword. Recognize that when we need to face things that cause us fear, that we actually have strength inside us. And recognize that God wants to invite us to create spaces for redemption. To sit at coffee tables and have conversations that lead to redemption to fire up tweets that start conversations that lead to redemption. So we're going to keep on giving ourselves to God, inviting him to pour out his love and his power and his might in us as we respond.